Hi, I'm Dave Scott. I'm pastor of Crossway Community Church, and I want to welcome you. Crossway is a church simply committed to making disciples. We meet at 1501 Woodbury Road. It's off of Colonial and Fort Wayne in East Orlando. Come check us out. I look forward to meeting you. But the truth is, is this is the way I feel every Sunday, <laughs> because your pastor has clay feet, right? And uh, when I get up to preach the Word of God, uh, you know, I'm incredibly humbled because of, uh, you know, still being under construction myself. Um, but I'll tell you, this is, there's something more uh, uncomfortable for a pastor than this, and I'm going to tell one of Donna's stories, okay? <laughs> we uh, planted a church in Charlotte. And uh, we came to our first Christmas. We just launched. Had our, you know how a church plant goes. You put out you know, advertising. You get the word out. And we were meeting in a school, uh, like uh, Crossway used to meet in a school. And we decided we're going to have a, a Christmas outreach. We're going to have a family Christmas movie night. And Donna said, this was such a great idea, attracting young families. And we had lots of young kids. And she said, Dave, now, y'all ever have these arguments about who, what you're going to watch on Netflix, what movie's going to be, and you surf through, trying, and then one of you picks it, and it ends up being a terrible movie, and then the other one said, why do we, y'all, y'all have this experience, if y'all, this is your household, do you have this experience? Yeah. No, never, never, this never, okay, well, it's worse when it's a church. <laughs> Donna said, oh, David, I know this great Christmas movie, <laughs> it's called Christmas Shoes, and this would be great to show to all these young families. And so we start, you know, we're all, we gather there in the lunchroom. We, we've set up the screen. We got the projector. We're showing the movie Christmas Shoes with all these young toddlers sitting around. And Christmas Shoes, which is, you know, it's, it's, it is an emotional Christmas story. But it had like two or three just blaring curse words right in the middle of it. <laughs> we did not preview the movie. <laughs> and... Sitting there, I was like, oh, my goodness, what do I do? You know, as a, so that's more embarrassing than having your, your soul come off as a pastor and having, or even having holes in your socks um, or, or preaching barefoot. So this will be a first. Um, but, so I hope you guys can take me seriously. Um, but, uh, um, you know, we've been in Advent about how uh, really the message of Advent is unexpected. And, but we need to grow with, with an expectation or an anticipation uh, for God to, to, to meet us in some fresh way during this season. And, you know, uh, I know that t- today's Christmas Eve and tomorrow's Christmas, but, um, you know, don't let this moment pass you by to, ha- to go to God with this expectation to ask you to meet you in a fresh way. We've been looking at uh, Advent through the eyes specifically of, of women in the, in the Advent story because they play such a vital role and uh, give us a unique perspective. We start out talking about the women in Jesus' genealogy in Matthew chapter 1 and how unexpected those were. We looked at uh, Mary herself, and for her, Advent was surely an unexpected uh, uh, occurrence in her life, something that she didn't expect, but also of her cousin Elizabeth we looked at last week. And this week we're looking at Anna here in, as Luke 2 goes on. And we're looking at Advent through her eyes. And Anna can teach us, if we look through her eyes, several different things. Uh, and, uh, hang on. There we go. Um, why isn't my computer advancing? 
Okay, we'll do that. Um, Anna can teach us several different things. Anna teaches now, just like it was then 2,000 years ago in the first Christmas, faith or trust in redemption uh, means, first of all, it means a hope deferred. Uh, but it also, because of that, it requires a hope sustained. Uh, and what does that, what is that hope hoping on? It's, it's to wait on a hope to be fulfilled. And then that explains our calling to be a, to a hope proclaimed, to be proclaimers of hope. So let's dig in here to the story of, uh, of Anna. And uh, 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 Rennell read it for us and uh, says that there was a prophetess, the daughter of Faniel, the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years in which she was a, in which, when she was a virgin, from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. And she didn't depart from the temple, worshiping and fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak to him, to speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Now, catch that last word and that last phrase, redemption. That's actually the key word in this whole passage, even though it's at the end. A lot of times in Scripture, what's at the end is actually the point of emphasis that it leads up to, redemption. You know, I was looking at redemption and trying to unpack what that means. I was looking at and, and the thesaurus. The thesaurus also has not only synonyms, words that mean similarly, but also antonyms, the opposite. And it was interesting to see that the, one of the opposites or the antonyms of Redemption is unfulfillment. Now, if you guys got your uh, your uh, frequent flyer miles, and you go and you redeem those, right? You redeem those for a reward, hopefully a, t- a ticket if, if you got enough, right? Uh, so, so redemption leads to fulfillment, but the opposite of redemption is unfulfillment, something that's not fulfilled. Uh, there's uh, a famous uh, verse in um, Proverbs that talks about the role of of, of between hope and, 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 and a fulfillment. It says, hope deferred makes the heart grow sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Now, you all know this in your kids, <laughs> you know, hoping for Christmas morning, right? <laughs> it, it makes the heart grow sick, right? But Christmas morning, when you're able to unpack everything, that's a tree of life. That's joy. And that's certainly true for all of us. But we're going to see this in the story of, of uh Anna specifically. And the first thing that Anna teaches us is that, is that faith is hope deferred. Faith is hope deferred. Um, and Anna's life was in a dark and painful time in the world. The Greek here in, in this passage is a little ambiguous where it says that she was a, a, a widow until she was 84 years. Literally, that's it's a genitive and it's, it's obscure what the 84 years modifies. Does it modify her life, saying she lived 84 years? Or does it modify being a widow, which means she had been a widow for 84 years? I actually think from the word order here, and also from the context, the emphasis of this passage on how long she lived, actually that she was a widow for 84 years. So if she got married at 12, and then she was married for 7 years, and if she was a widow for 84 years, that puts her uh, around 103 years old. 103 years old. So when we read this passage, we go immediately to the end where she's rejoicing, but we skip over the 103 years that's in the first verse. Uh, And yet, I think we need to think about that just for a minute because um, uh, what that life was like. Those 103 years were years of struggle. Um, uh, You know, uh, 
her living in the temple, as it says, uh, would actually probably mean that she did not have a family to take care of. She had the luxury to be able to do that, but it also means she doesn't have a family to take care of her. Probably meant that she was childless. Not only was she a widow, but she was childless. In the ancient world, you know, children were what took care of you in your old age. And so she had no security, no social security, um, no spouse, and no kids means no safety net. Uh, and so she was trusting God, not knowing what each day would hold. Um, and so, you know, uh, what areas of your life have you lacked security? You know, all of us have different seasons, different areas, whether it's health, like Jim shared this year, the last two years for them. You know, there's times and seasons, right, where we don't feel secure. And what does hope mean in those seasons? Well, uh, to understand Anna and, and ha- what hope meant for her and her faith, we need to look at what these 103 years look like. Um, you know, the, the, Luke's audience here were Jewish. They're living in the first century. And they would know generally what had happened in the 100 years preceding. Just like if I tell you in the 20th century, if I talk about um, the Great Depression, if I talk about World War I, which my grandfather fought in, World War II, which my, which my dad fought in, talk about uh, the assassination of John F. Kennedy, talk about the civil rights movement, right? You know these events. Um, And so they would also know the events leading up to uh, this time of Jesus' birth. Um, You know, so we said Anna was, you know, a little over 100 years old. This meant she lived through the whole first century B.C. before Christ. She lived through that 100 years before. And what happened then? What was that like? Well, then as now, the land of Israel was a contested place. It was, you know, y'all know, uh, you ever played tug of war, uh, maybe on the beach or something? Uh, tug of war, you got two groups, one person, two people, or sometimes groups of people on different ends of the rope, and they're pulling it back and forth, and, and you're trying to get the, the, the flag over to your side. Well, Israel was the rope. It was in the middle of major kingdoms. Was, of course, they had the Roman Empire uh, in Europe, a little bit to the northeast. Uh, to the south of them, they had Egypt and the Egyptian uh, empire. Uh, they had uh, the Persian Empire to the uh, north, the northeast of them, and and they had uh, uh, as well the Greek Empire, this uh, or the Solid uh, Empire uh, uh, in Asia Minor. And so, in the middle of all this is Israel during this hundred years. So, um, as you as this as the history flows through this uh, this time. That Israel is in the middle of all the all these. It's in the crossfire of everything that's going on. So, and during this time, uh, there's over 26 repeated wars in the Roman Empire. Uh, there were repeated invasions. There's with slaughter, but they're followed by counter invasions and counter slaughter. The Jews themselves repeatedly rebelled, and then they were violently repressed. Not to mention the civil wars within Rome itself. Rome had several civil wars in which emperors and generals were in, in, in contesting and there were competing emperors and, and uh, years of political murder. I mean, you know, you've heard about the, the murder of Julius Caesar, right? The Ides of March, et tu Brute. You, Brutus, you also, as he stabs him in the back. Or I don't know if you've seen, it's a really old movie, Cleopatra. Um, uh, but you know, Cleopatra uh, died of suicide because she lost her empire, so she allowed a venomous snake to, to kill her. So this was a time politically of instability. Uh, now, even as Rome consolidated its power over, over the period of this, this century and, and as well in, uh, over Israel, um, uh, 
the person that they installed to rule Israel was Herod the Great. Of course, you've heard about Herod the Great in the story of Jesus coming, right? But actually, Herod, he was considered by the Jews a half-Jew. He was actually um, an a Edomite, um, but he was really a monstrous person. Uh, he was uh, uh, exceedingly cruel and, and vengeful, um, and he was described even by Roman historians as being without humanity. He was capricious. Just because he had a suspicion against his favorite wife, he killed her and her two sons, just on a whim. And on his deathbed, just five days before he died, he ordered that his other son, Antipor, would be slain because he didn't want him to inherit the kingdom. And because he, he, been so, he knew he had been so murderous and he knew he was so unpopular, he, he knew he was going to die, and he wanted there to be great mourning at his death. So he ordered that all the nobles of the land be gathered into the arena, the hippodrome, so that they, when he died would be slaughtered so that all of Israel would be mourning. Of course, not for him, but for all the people that he killed. But so this is, tells you of what a person that he was. And of course, he's the one who went, ordered all this two-year-old male children to be slaughtered. So this is the time in which Anna grew up. He, when he came into power, she would have been about 40 years old. Um, so uh, this is a time of hope deferred. We said last week that this is the end of 400 years of silence in Israel where there's no prophet. So God's not speaking. Not only is there violence, not only is there chaos, not only is there injustice, but it seems like God is not there and he's quiet. And so Anna is desperately feels this need for a redeemer, just like all of Israel did. Um, she experienced hope deferred. You know, hope by definition means deferred fulfillment. If you think about it, hope is this anticipation of a future reality. It means that something, however, in the present is missing. Hope is deferred. Hope is the expectation of a future realization. Um, and certainly that was true for, for Anna. You know, I, I studied East European studies and communist studies in, in college and, got to, and had to read Marx's Das Kapital. And Marx calls uh, faith, he called it the opiate of the people. Why? Because for him, he said this pie in the sky, you know, you're putting people to sleep expecting something in the future to, in order to make them satisfied with less and not having here in the present. And so we all face this same question. Was Marx right? You know, am I getting gypped? Is, am I getting ripped off in the present state of my life in the areas where I feel like uh, it falls short? So what was Anna's response when she was living in this time of darkness, this time of uh, lack of an answer for these hundred years uh, of spiritual silence and spiritual darkness? Well, the second thing that Anna teaches us is that faith is hope sustained. Faith is hope sustained. It says she did not part from the temple, worshiping and fasting, prayer, uh, night and day. Anna's life was in dark and broken in a painful world. That's true. But she took her pain to God daily. Right? And this speaks of her faith. It speaks of her godliness as a widow, um, her character. This is the type, she was the type of widow that, that Paul talks about in 1 Timothy 5, where he says she was truly a widow, left, left alone, left, she was left all alone, but she has set her hope on God and, some, and continues in supplications, prayers, day and night. Certainly that would describe Anna. But we also need that to describe us, right? Even in the times in life when we feel alone, have we set our hope on God? Do we continue in supplications and prayers? 
Because she was a woman of much prayer. My mom's 95 years old. Calls, she talks about, this is a prayer warrior. Do y'all have prayer warriors in your life? You know, people that are on your team. And, she's, and you know, I'll call mom and something's going on. I said, mom, I really need you to pray for, pray for me on this. She said, well, I'm going to storm heaven. She calls storming the throne. That's what she calls her prayers. <laughs> and and uh, we all need to storm heaven, storm the throne more um, with our prayers. Um, and uh, that's what Hannah was doing, it says. She served God with, pr- with prayer night and day. She never weary of pleading with God on behalf of others and for her nation in this pr- praying for the fulfillment of a Messiah to come. You know, Psalms talks about this kind of heart uh, that, that, that just keeps in the presence of God. David talks about, my soul longs, just faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Anna's relationship with God was her foundation. It was her anchor. Um, Anna, the word, her name actually means favored. It means one who's graced. And so this identity of what God had had said over her and who God was who then defined who she was, uh, Anna trusted in her identity as one of God's chosen or favored people. So when it says she didn't depart from the temple, it means she didn't depart from God's presence. Brother Lawrence wrote a book called Practicing the Presence of God, right? Where we, we, should, we should practice the presence of God, not just here when we're, we're worshiping, but when we're, we're doing dishes or, or whatever it is that we're doing. And so Anna knew how to keep present to God. It's not just that God's present to us. He, yeah, he is, regardless about us, but we need to be present to him. Um, I had the privilege of spending some time, about two weeks uh, in a uh, in spiritual formation intensive with Larry Crabb before he passed away. Larry Crabb was the founder of Christian uh, counseling and uh, was a psychologist, Christian psychologist. And he had cancer, and he ultimately died of cancer. He knew it when I was there. He knew at the time that he was, he was in remission, but he, he knew his days were numbered. And this is a quote from Larry Crabb that has really stuck with me. He said, My experience of God's presence sustains me less than my standing in my faith in his reality. Do you get that? It's not God's, it's not me feeling God's presence, experiencing God's presence. It's my faith in the reality of his presence, whether I feel it or not. That's what sustains me through the dark times. And that's the kind of faith that Anna had. It was a sustaining faith, a sustaining faith. You know, we have to, Choose to stand in the faith of God's presence in our lives, even when it feels like it's not there. Um, Anna had the kind of faith that uh, Peter talked about in his epistle, 1 Peter 1.8. He said, though you haven't seen him, you love him. Though you don't see him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. And so as she went through these hundred years that... She experienced this mixture of lament, as Jim talked about, but also hope. And these explain why the day that Jesus came to be dedicated was so momentous for her, right? Uh, This was not just uh, the highlight of her life and of Simeon's life. This was the highlight in the nation of Israel, right? The apex, the climax that the Messiah had now come. And so because she had sustained her hope, she teaches us not just to have sustaining hope, but she also teaches us that faith is hope fulfilled. Faith is hope fulfilled. Faith 
in Advent means that hope is fulfilled. It says in coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God. What was she giving God to thanks for? What was there to thank God for? Because God has sent his Messiah, right? For faithfully sending the redemption that he had promised. The redemption that she had looked for. A redeemer. It says, because that very hour was the hour of fulfillment. Now, the word hour in the New Testament doesn't just mean that specific time of day. A lot of times it, it actually, in, in eschatological literature, it'll refer to a, a changing of the, of the historical periods. And even though this was an hour in which the baby was brought, right, to be dedicated, this was actually a changing of a whole new hour, a new covenant, right? A new uh, uh, and breaking of God's kingdom. Uh, and Anna was the witness of it. So um, in uh, Isaiah 52.3, uh, uh, God is prophesying through, through the prophet Isaiah. And he says to Israel, you were sold for nothing and you shall be redeemed without money. Israel had been looking for this redemption. Now, what, is, what does the prophet mean when he says you were sold for nothing? Well, all of us in our rebellion, as it says in Romans, right, we exchange God, the creator, for, for creation. We worship creation instead, something that's not worth anything, right? It's not worth any money. And yet it says that God will redeem you without money. God redeemed us with something that was priceless. He redeemed Israel with something that was priceless. What was that? the blood of his son who he had sent. And so when Anna saw this baby in front of her, which God had, had prophetically revealed to her, was now the redeemer of Israel, she realized that this was the day of fulfillment finally. You know, Christmas is a day of fulfillment, the coming of a Messiah. This is a celebration of promises kept. God keeps his promises. God is not slow about his promises as some count slowness. Um, God keeps his promises. Uh, you know, sometimes we, don't, we, we feel like, when is God going to deliver? When is he going to uh, keep his promise? And again, Peter talks about this. He says, after you have suffered a little while, while well, the God of all grace who has called you with his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Christ gave the basis for this. God's promise to you even now is that he will restore, he will confirm, he will strengthen, he will establish you. Because faith is, 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 is uh, hope fulfilled. Um, but there's the last thing that Anna teaches us. Uh, out of the joy of seeing God keep his promise, Hannah, Anna also teaches us that faith is hope proclaimed. We are called to proclaim hope. It says that uh, you know, she came up at this very hour and she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. To speak to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. She couldn't help herself but speak of what she had found, right? She's so overjoyed. You see the response here? This isn't just something that she took and savored for herself. She overflowed and couldn't help but share this. You know, Peter and John were, were, were arrested. They were taken before the council in the book of Acts. Later on, Luke records this, the same Luke who, who records the, this, this gospel. And he says, and they, before the council, they've been arrested for preaching the gospel. We can't help but speak of what we have seen and heard. Anna couldn't help but speak of what she had seen and heard as well. And 
God calls us to be proclaimers of this light, to be proclaimers of this hope, to be proclaimers of redemption, that what's broken today, right, what feels broken in our lives, what we see is broken on the news, God is redeeming. He's paid the price for it. He's broken the power of sin. Now, the presence of sin is still here. And one day he will remove that when he institutes and fully completes his kingdom. And that's, so we have his first coming, but we're looking forward to his second coming. We live in this time of the already and the not yet. Yes, he's already come, but yet he's coming again to fully bring and make his kingdom come. His will be done. So, uh, this Advent, uh, as we trust Christ uh, in his redemption, right? This is a hope that we now trust in, that we, we rest in to sustain us and that we share. In closing, uh, Henry Nouwen, who uh, is a, a Christian writer, a Catholic Christian writer, he said this, the Lord is coming and he's always coming. When you have ears to hear and eyes to see, you will recognize him at any moment in your life. Life is Advent. Life is Advent. God is always coming to you. He's always coming to me. We don't, we don't recognize that, but he doesn't just come at Easter. He didn't just come 2,000 years ago, and he doesn't just come whenever he comes the second time. He's always pursuing us. He says, life is recognizing the coming of the Lord. Where do you find life in darkness? Where do you find life in the middle of pain and brokenness? It's recognizing the coming of the Lord. Uh, God calls all of us to be an Anna, right? We've all had the joy, the same joy that she has, because we know the realization that the Redeemer has come. He's redeemed us. We wouldn't be here today. There's someone whose story this reminds me a lot of. This is one of actually my favorite stories. You know, my, as I said, my major is East European studies. My favorite city in all of Europe is Prague. And I had a privilege to be there one or two times. But uh, Prague is a gorgeous city. Even as you saw in the news, if you watched it this week, there was, a lot, there was another tragic mass shooting. It was in Prague. It was at Charles University. That's the oldest university in the world. Um, the reason why Prague's so beautiful is because it wasn't, it wasn't destroyed in World War II. But I love uh, the, pe- the Czech people. Donna and I had a chance to do a, a short-term mission in, Sol- in Slovakia, which is, is, is the kind of the cousin to uh, the Czech Republic. Um, but I want you to listen to this story of uh, this woman named Ludmila, who reminds me of Anna and who challenges all of us to be Anna as well. Ludmila, like Anna, teaches us that now as then, faith and redemption means hope deferred. That's why it requires hope sustained, to wait on hope fulfilled, and explains our calling to hope proclaimed. Lord, we just praise you so much for the hope that you have brought in each of our lives. God, not just 2,000 years ago, but that you keep coming and you keep pursuing our hearts, Lord, uh, with the, the light of Advent. And you give us that light and joy to proclaim to others as well. Lord, we give you all the honor and the glory and the praise for that. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for joining us today and listening to this message from Crossway Community Church. Once again, we meet at 1045 on Sunday mornings at 1501 Woodbury Road, which is just off Colonial and 408 in East Orlando. Come check us out. I'll see you then.